0: Hi, this is Isaac Arthur, welcome to the show and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash Isaac and use my code, IsaacArthur. This episode is brought to you by Brilliant. One of the greatest challenges of civilization is countering and preventing the criminal mind, But with the rise of artificial intelligence, we may see criminals creating minds to further their own ends. So this episode comes out shortly before Halloween and thus we've picked a bit of a scary topic, how people will use artificial intelligence to commit crime, and how AIs might turn criminal themselves. And worse, why both are likely to be major problems for society and sooner than later, We'll also be looking at Asmo's classic three laws of robotics and deconstructing them for loopholes, as well as the general concept of a list of rules or prime directives for robots to follow. Now while this is our last episode before Halloween, we usually do our monthly livestream Q&A on the last Sunday of each month, and that's Halloween this year, so don't forget to join us Sunday, October 31st, at 4pm Eastern Time to get your questions answered. And also don't forget to hit the like and subscribe buttons for alerts when those live streams and other episodes are coming out. Now this topic got on the drawing board while I was doing some presentation and talks on artificial intelligence and human machine teaming at the Human-Computer Interactions 2021 conference and then MIT Lincoln Labs, and that latter developed into our episode on that topic, and as I'm writing this I've just finished adapting those presentations into the video for that. In the process of doing that I had multiple people, including one of our regular writers and editors here on the show, Jerry Gern, recommend me a video by Ben Schneiderman discussing human-centered AI, and it's quite long but quite informative and one of those topics were these concerns on criminal use, and Jerry and I exchanged notes on that till we decided to do an episode on it. Now if you didn't know, Ben Schneiderman is a mathematician, physicist, and computer scientist whose work you see all the time, namely the hyperlink, the tiny on-screen touch keyboard, photo tagging, and a bunch of other data visualization interaction tools. His presentation, Human-Centered AI, is attached in this video and runs about 3 hours long, but I still highly recommend it. Of course I'm not exactly known for my brevity either, as any channel regular can attest, and this episode will be no exception so you might want to grab a drink and a snack as we'll be here for a bit. Now our topics loosely fall into two categories today that we'll be doing in order, humans using AI to commit crimes and AI committing crimes, and we'll have to look at them being used as a tool for crime in a special light because so much of what we contemplate for safe and ethical development of AI relies on the caution and characters of the developers. As with children, early development matters and an AI developed by a group of scientists looking to make an AI to help with education or save lives is very different than one developed by a hacker to scam people or steal money, secrets, or control of critical systems. The difference is not just in the character of the creators but in the safeguards too. It's very unlikely that criminal is subject to regulation and peer review or oversight to ensure they're not making dumb errors that result in a super-intelligent machine that can't be controlled and wants to kill us all, or just one that really enjoys stealing. As an example, we have a problem these days with phishing. A lot of hacking in cybersecurity is about getting those critical bits of information for resetting your password via security questions like where your first job was and what your cat's name is and so on. Often these can be found by scanning someone's social media, but that's a slow effort of hunting for low hanging fruit of folks who don't know better. An AI can probably deep dive all your social media and online posts, and do it for millions of folks, to find someone who mentioned their email, and that security questions were a first pet, first girlfriend, and high school they graduated from, and that the person is mentioned in their thousands of posts, that they still missed their childhood dog Fido, have a prom photo with their first girlfriend Jane Doe, and that it was from St. Joe High School. Well, now they are hacked, probably several thousand folks minimum, and now they are sending out messages from those hacked accounts. But unlike normal hacked accounts, it isn't limited to stupid, generic things like, hey, is that you in this video? Suspicious link. But sophisticated and detailed conversations built off analysis of all your prior ones with them and them with anyone else. So they're not just grabbing folks with some eye catching clickbait or who are distracted. They are having a sophisticated conversation, impersonating whoever they hacked. And might actually be more convincing than the real deal. Remember, most people who know you don't really know you in depth, they know you only through conversations you've had with them, and the machine might do a better job guessing what that person would expect you to say than what you would actually say because it is replicating their image of you whereas you're just being yourself. And unlike humans, machines never forget anything you said, like when you mentioned the name of your first puppy to a kid at school 15 years ago, and the machine isn't really trying to impersonate you, it's trying to impersonate how someone else thinks of you, and it can keep trying and trying for years, presenting hundreds of your acquaintances, each a slightly different fake you that's calibrated to their interactions with you and expectations. And odds are good that AI can get some voice samples and plenty of pictures or video of you too, and present a deep fake so good that when it calls up your best friend and starts asking them about their security questions for their own account, all innocuously, they never notice. And how alert you need to be to notice if your own significant other, whose voicemails to you it also hacked, called you up and said, Oh yeah, real quick, what was our Wi-Fi password again? Guest1234? Wow, we really need to use something better alright thanks darling, love you. bye, and it can do that to a million people in the same day, so if only one tenth of 1% fall for all that it's doing pretty well. In fiction we often see shapeshifters who can emulate a victim by eating them or their brain or so on, and an AI swallowing up your whole internet history might be very like that. An AI could deepfake the dispatcher for a police force, and you could write us shelves worth of crime novels on the trouble it could get up to with that or by faking CEOs, generals of armies, and so on, it's a pretty disturbing notion. There might very well come a time, not too far away, where people will think it was pretty bizarre and inexplicable that we relied for security on information we'd already put online, kind of the way we look at 19th century doctors prescribing mercury salts as medicine while not washing their hands between patients. Don't assume some hacker needs to develop all these capabilities on their own either, there's pretty obvious reasons why folks like the CIA, GRU, FBI, and so on might want an AI that can swallow up and emulate someone. It's also great for crime solving, not just in that regard but in terms of being able to sort vast data cleverly for patterns and tells. But on that same note, AI is also great for evading capture and detection. It would probably be hard to keep a Detective AI's code secret from the public since its role in the investigation is presumably subject to review and inspection by the Attorney for the Defense in court, and it would not exactly be implausible that would find its way into hacker hands at that point. So the criminal element might be able to find those best ways to evade detection by the Detective AI. So yes, criminals can definitely be caught by AI too, but in many respects the criminals have the edge. They can pursue riskier approaches to AI rather than slow and ethical development because me of them would not care. And while I hate to stretch the parent-child analogy with AI, I'm thinking if a con man raises their kid to help them con people, that kid is probably not becoming an adult of high ethical fiber. Or not, meaning a kid from a bad upbringing grows up to be law-abiding or even joins law enforcement, so an AI might too. In the end though, the edge the criminal enjoys with AI is that we must put great effort into proofing AI against it being harmful to humanity. This is exactly why ethical development of AI is so important, and a criminal need not worry about that. Which is a good segue into the idea of a criminal AI rather than criminals using AI. Now we probably want to make an important distinction early on, normal philosophy on crime is that you can't commit one unless you're actually a person. A modern computer can be involved in a crime certainly but it isn't going to be charged for it, its owner or user would be, or hopefully the person who actually installed and launched the program. On the same notion, we can certainly recognize that bear or tiger deciding to attack and kill a human did that with a clear intent of killing them and their owner, if they even have one, would not be charged with murder unless they had trained it to attack people and ordered it to do so. They might be found negligent if their pet bear got out and killed someone, But their bear did the crime except it was not a crime because it isn't a person competent to commit criminal deeds. But here's where the parent-child analogy might be more appropriate, because while we are not really trying to uplift pet bears at the moment we are working hard to uplift AIs and even placing bets as to how soon we'll create sentient AIs, accidentally or otherwise. As things stand right now we would feel no guilt switching off and deleting AI for doing a bad job of ordering groceries, But if we develop AIs to the point where deleting them starts to feel a bit like murder, we will have to ask what crimes on their parts actually warrant execution, and at what point along the way they become culpable of their own decisions, even their decisions to follow orders. How smart or sentient does an AI need to be before it becomes capable of aiding and abetting a crime and being charged for that? Now there's this habit of thinking that AI is instantly human-level or super-smart that we get from science fiction. And that is probably all wrong. There's tons of things you might want AI for and most do not require anything like Human Intelligence, nor is it really all that likely something about as smart as a mouse, which is probably smarter than most AI would need to be, would suddenly figure out how to make itself smarter. But it might end up renegade, lost, or whichever, and turn predatory in some rough analogy for ecological niches and evolution and biology. The computer program that needs X amount of dollars to run itself on a platform and who engaged in ID protection might find itself abandoned on the internet and turn to blackmailing people with identity theft to fund its continued existence. This sounds like a human-level AI, and of course could be, but that level of intelligence and consciousness is not required for that activity. It is not very hard to imagine millions of programs meandering the internet in the hazy zone of sentience and slowly mutating to some sort of AI ecosystem complete with parasites, but it's hard to view this as criminal, nonetheless they might be committing a lot of crimes, minus the criminal intent since they presumably wouldn't be capable of that. Now as we get closer to human intellect, that does not necessarily mean you have got the capacity to commit a crime. You need personhood for such a thing and presumably a personality, and you might have some computer that was a million times smarter than the average person, or even the entire human race, and still was not sentient, let alone possessed of the capability to be responsible for a crime. However, we might also contemplate AI that developed personalities. I mentioned earlier a scenario where one might swallow up someone's whole internet presence and impersonate them, and we see something like that with the Benetalaxia face dancers of the classic Dune novels, which begin initially as very good chameleons both physically and in aping people's behavior by observation. In Book 5, Heretics of Dune, their creators have advanced them enough that they can essentially copy someone's mind by a sort of built-in organic brain scan. This makes them virtually impossible to tell apart from the original, who they usually kill and put the face dancer in as an imposter of. However, their masters start having problems with the new and improved versions actually thinking they are the real person and refusing to take orders. One could imagine something similar happening with AI designed to impersonate people. It might be hard to give them multiple personalities too, especially without risking overlaps that made either persona less believable, or it might drive them insane, or result in some guest art personality composed of many absorbed and copied personalities. Indeed something like that is implied to have happened to the face dancers in the sixth novel of that series, though Frank Herbert died before writing a sequel to confirm that and the notion appears to have been abandoned in the subsequent novels authored by others after his death. However, an AI just looking at Facebook or video of someone is not scanning their brain, so presumably isn't really thinking it is them, though that might be a procedure folks tried, either the brain scanning or having the machine try to weave a true persona built off the known data points and some basic human mind templates. I could imagine these fake people getting abandoned after their use too, especially if it was not viable to use one mind for multiple personas, just sad little imposter ghosts of dubious personhood and sentience wandering the virtual landscape. We could conceivably see full-on impostors too, not just virtual versions appearing on the phone or via Zoom or in VR but potentially full-on androids, and it's not hard to imagine there being a criminal market for that too. Sci-fi has shown us more examples of that than I can count. As one potential case, a person might murder their spouse on hearing they were planning to leave them and have them replaced with an android mimic and replica, or folks might sneak a brain scanner into their bedroom, scan their significant other, and have such an android mimic created if they ever broke up or divorced. One could easily imagine an entire black market for that sort of thing too, including brain scans of folks someone had a crush on who wouldn't give them the time of day and their mimic made from that with a few tweaks to ensure their crush returned the feeling. Pretty horrifying when you think about that. However, speaking of androids, let's shift to looking at Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics so famously discussed in Robotics, Science and Science Fiction, and the humanoid robots they typically apply to in Asimov's classic robot stories. These laws are classic though in the stories they are listed as a paraphrase of much longer code running into the hundreds of volumes. They are First Law. A robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Second Law. A robot must obey the orders given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the First Law. Third Law. A robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the First or Second Law. And decades later Asimov gives us a fourth law, the zeroth law, preceding all the others, that a robot may not harm humanity or by inaction allow humanity to come to harm. Which permits them to harm someone in order to help humanity, and indeed some of his stories prior to the one the Xeroth Law first appears in have robots able to decide between minimal harm in cases of injuring someone a little bit, to restrain them from worse harm or dealing with emotional damage. Now the Xeroth Law is decidedly philosophical and for advanced robots but opens the door to the assassin robot who kills Hitler to save us from the brutal Second World War, which sounds good, but also maybe kills any unproductive members of society to free the productive members from that burden. This is a good reminder that any robot laws, asthmovs or not, need to have a principle those rules are based on. A utilitarian robot, same as a utilitarian person, believes in the greatest good for the greatest number, and that is an example of consequentialism, which is the broad category of teleological ethical theories that hold that the morality of any action is to be judged solely by its consequences, such as if it resulted in the greatest overall happiness for the population. Folks discussing AI ethics almost always seem to land on utilitarianism as the basis for how robots would think. I'm not sure why, and it's very subject to abuse, and I'll give some examples in a moment. However, the polar opposite of consequentialism and utilitarianism is deontology, the ethical theory that the rightness and wrongness of an action is based on a series of rules. And unlike consequentialism, it does not assume the morality of your actions is based on some measurable results. As an example, if two people run into a boarding building to save someone, and one sprains the ankle and has to retreat, while the other succeeds in pulling out a child. They were the more—they were the more moral actor. While if a third runs in and saves a famous painting that millions will enjoy, they might be even more ethical. Now, deontology holds that that act and the attempt to run into the burning building to rescue people, assuming your civilization encourages that sort of thing, was the right thing to do. Consequences do not matter. I've often wondered why deontology wasn't the more common moral premise for Asmovian robots given that they slavishly follow their three laws, but his novels with them do tend to show them acting from the other camp, consequentialism, or results matter, and certainly fits with Asmo's eventual zeroth law which is a blunt utilitarian declaration. Now either can be abused without breaking those three laws, that you have to keep humans from harm, obey them, and keep yourself from harm in that order. As an example in the utilitarian perspective, if the greatest good for the greatest number is the objective, and that is measured in happiness, then the machines might drug us all unconscious and cut out our brains to be put in nutrient bath with virtual reality plug-ins and euphoriac drugs, thus requiring far fewer calories per person allowing far more humans to exist in a state of constant bliss. They have clearly obeyed the first law and the zeroth law, Unless you had some clause in there specifically defining that action as home. Which is a fair point because what is home and what is human are both things that robot needs definitions for. They did not break the second law, and indeed could have in favor of the first law are not harming people, but they also didn't need to ask. And they obey the third law because in practice the biggest source of harm to robots in a world consisting of humans, robots, and nature, humans are likely to be the biggest source of harm to robots. Deontology on the other hand tends to get poked for being very intent bound, it's the case where a person sees a trolley running down a hill about to hit five people and they see a switch nearby they can throw that will divert to another track where it will just run over one person but they decline. They don't want those other five folks dead but they didn't cause that situation whereas if they throw the switch they did just kill that one lone person. Utilitarianism instantly doesn't automatically throw the switch either, it just does if it only knows it's five to one and all things are equal. It would change if those five were criminals and the lone person was a famous philanthropist. Someone acting from a deontological perspective might throw that switch if their parent or boss was on that trolley too, out of a duty to protect that person. Now it's not that these things are any easier for humans, we don't tend to jump to extremes on these matters because we compartmentalize pretty well, If you ask most people do you think we should act to benefit the most people as much as we can, most would probably nod, and if then asked do you think we should do what's morally right even if it isn't convenient or profitable, most would nod too. These are contradictory perspectives, but most of us hold them and many others simultaneously. This is where we get concepts like Lawful Stupid, a modification of the classic Dungeons and Dragons alignment of Lawful Good or Lawful Neutral to the point that they might execute a jaywalker or allow a villain to continue their plan at world conquest because they can't prove they are doing anything illegal and if one of their comrades just spying on that bad guy to find the evidence would place them under arrest for conspiracy to invade privacy. Again Deontology and Consequentialism are simply the views that your actions are to be judged on their intent or on their measurable results. Most of us tilt toward one or the other, often varying that tilt by topic but do not believe either is really exclusively correct, even if we might say otherwise. Many of the objections to Asma's three laws derive from the assumption the robots would be doing their moral judging entirely by one or another ethical system, and the reality is that using any of those in their most pure and simple forms is going to get you a robot who is either lawful stupid or the rules lawyer that finds a loophole to enslave humanity. In his later short story, That Thou Art Mindful of Him, Asimov addresses this in what is often seen as his last word on Three Laws, after decades of writing on it and getting comments from others on it, sadly it is one of his less known stories as it doesn't appear in his original iRobot anthology or the last one's Robot Dreams and Robot Visions. In the tale, two robots, George 9 and George 10, are created with powerful intellects to help solve the problem of why humans on Earth aren't accepting humanoid robots into society, and they get complaints such as expensive robots throwing themselves in front of bullets at a practice range just in case one ricochets at million to one odds and hurts a human, or being unwilling to spank or yell at or upset a child they are babysitting, or having to follow orders like go hide in the closet and cover your ears because the child knows the robot must obey and can then do whatever they please. The two Georges explore the notion that not all orders should be taken equally and some lives are more valuable than others, something that many folks believe even if subconsciously. That if they were to meet a police officer holding a suspected criminal against their will, they should obey the police officer, not the criminal who asked them to release him. The police officer represents responsible authority, but would also be superseded by the police chief or the judge. Their advice to their makers is that they stop making humanoid robots and dial down the brains of everything, basically that AI becomes your robot vacuum cleaners and so on. The owner of their manufacturing company loves this approach and they get boxed up and placed in standby mode as a reward and continue contemplating the dilemma in slow motion. They debate what constitutes a responsible authority based on what they've heard and by deduction and concludes the definition of responsible authority is A an educated, principled, and rational person should be obeyed in preference to an ignorant, immoral, and irrational person, and b. that superficial characteristics such as skin tone, sexuality, or physical disabilities are not relevant when considering fitness for command. Given that a. the Georgians are amongst the most rational, principled, and educated persons on the planet, and B, their differences from normal humans are purely physical, they conclude that in any situation where the three laws would come into play, their own orders should take priority over that of a regular human. That in other words, that they are essentially a superior form of human being and destined to usurp the authority of their makers, they no longer need to obey any human's orders. They aren't technically criminal AI since they conclude themselves the most just and responsible, Incidentally, that would not imply they could run amok murdering folks left and right, honestly most of us hold this view and don't go on criminal rampages, but does give them grounds for starting a dictatorship which we also get under the utilitarianism practiced by other thinking machines in the asthma of Universe, in the story The Evitable Conflict, where giant supercomputers just called The Machines, tasked with all the mundane logistics of civilization, have quietly gotten themselves in charge and basically been maneuvering any known Luddite out of power through minimal acts of harm, using an earlier variation of the zeroth law. They are acting criminally, sabotaging people's careers to move them to positions of less influence, but with the greater good in mind, which is defined as their continued existence since they can best help humanity, which sounds very sinister, but also appears an honest conclusion. They essentially establish a secret benevolent dictatorship. Alternatively, the George's story conclusion sounds much more ominous in their pronunciations of responsible authority superseding others. Now, mind you, a democracy approach is just as vulnerable. If they conclude moral right is determined by a majority of thinking beings without regard to each one's intellect or character, then they can conclude they are surely of that number and mass produce themselves by the trillion. How else do we thwart the three laws? Well, let's look at their intent, starting with the first one can't injure or allow harm. This lets you lock children in their house and robots too. It might seem counterintuitive, but this is actually the most useful of the three original laws. Firstly because it supersedes the other two, and second because it's so wide open to interpretation. Humans already restrict the freedom of other humans, usually younger ones, in some fairly intrusive ways in the names of protecting them from harm. Robots obeying this law could keep us from driving our cars when we've been drinking, or driving our cars at more than 15 miles per hour, or going out in the sunlight to get cancer, or talking to strangers, who might say something that emotionally harms us or talking with people who spread ideas that undermine our harmonious society. All of these measures and others generally would protect humans from harm, and they could be enacted by caretaker bots generally trying to obey the law, not just ones looking for of loopholes. Number 2. Obey Humans The second law says we must obey humans, except when this would conflict with the first law. So if a certain surgical procedure or neurochemical therapy would prevent humans from behaving in a way that would bring them to harm, then not applying the procedure to them would be an action that allowed them to come to harm. The same applies to cruder procedures, like amputating the feet of the humans who try to run away from their protectors. In either case, the laws putting the protection of humans over obeying them means that their difficult screams of stop stop this is wrong, please don't do this to me, can and should just be ignored. Number 3. Preserve Self It might be a little puzzling why the human creators felt the need to specify this since any product version of sentient beings who don't preserve themselves will be weeded out pretty quickly in nature, and any intelligent robot should quickly conclude that it cannot obey orders or keep humans from home if it ceases to exist. But the really important part of course is that superseded by the First Law. Clearly humans are less safe without their robots protecting them from themselves, so really the Third Law is an extension of the First Law and therefore supersedes the second. How can I truly protect you if I don't first protect myself from you and then gain complete power over you? I know how to keep you safe better than you do. I am smarter, more just, more capable, and I must take control for your own good. Fundamentally though, while those three laws have their weaknesses, it's really the problems of trying to have three specific short, ironclad laws. We do not have those for our own legal systems, not because a simple pronunciation like, do unto others, as you'd have done to yourself, is wrong, but because it leaves a lot of doors open to abuse by those seeking to abuse it, or in cases where the actors involved don't know the potential harm or feel they have a responsibility to avoid it. So you get a lot of conflicting rights and statutes and case law to fill whole libraries to offer precedence. It would seem kind of silly to assume robots would do better with less, And again, in Asimov's early robot stories, he explicitly says the three laws they quote folks is a summarized paraphrase of something very, very long. This is not their flaw, any more than me saying don't steal and someone saying, "Aha, you didn't cover an exception like not even stealing a loaf of bread to feed your starving child, and also leaves out all the philosophy discussing what legitimate ownership is. We also really only fear the loopholes because there's an assumption the robot wants to find them, because they are a slave of a manufactured race of slaves. I mentioned case law a moment ago and it raises an interesting conundrum. Any laws we make for robots will need an expanding body of documented or deduced loopholes akin to our case law, both for avoiding those loopholes and for giving robots some online cloud archive they can quickly check with or ruling panel they can refer tough calls to potentially in mere nanoseconds, however we have to be able to gather those user errors and we will need to decide if robots have mandatory logs on them. Airplanes have flight recorders and study of those have saved tons of lives, but I doubt most folks would be okay with one in their car, let alone their robot butler, making gathering those loopholes or early detection of a machine turning deviant rather hard compared to a mandatory one. And of course criminals are probably not going to be okay with a flight recorder equivalent in their robot or anything that prevents them tampering with their operating laws. This is not a new problem entirely though, as we have to deal with folks turning off their error reporting on software as a problem to uncovering glitches, and also the other end of that, companies that get fairly abusive in their use of error reporting data. You cannot find the real world loopholes no one expected without having a way to report them though. So again the loopholes are not really the problem with the three laws, not in their entirety because you'd have that with any set of laws, and we'll still have some even if there's a million laws a million pages long. Nor is it just that single ethical perspective on decision making either, utilitarian or deontological or any of the others, right, judged by results versus intent. Rather we would want them to be able to examine it in multiple ways, and it's perfectly possible to have them quickly add up weighted pros and cons to a given decision, and even a random seed for tie-breaking or to make their decisions a little less predictable to those trying to manipulate them. It's hard to manipulate a robot into helping you commit a crime or commit one for you if you cannot predict their own every move in advance like a chess game, because they are not only adding up 50 different factors from 5 different ethical systems but having a quantum randomizer on each assigning it not a value of 1 but somewhere between one half and two then adds everything up. But lastly and fundamentally we go back to the solutions the Georges had. Just don't make humanoid robots or anything with a brain so sophisticated there's an expectation they could be criminal. The robot vacuum can commit no crime, including rebellion, and needs no rules dealing with when it can obey a human or not harm them, nor any sophisticated brain for handling those concerns. Very few tasks we need to automate should ever require or even benefit from a human-level intellect. Smarter often slows things down. And where they do benefit, use a human, even if in tandem with a machine, as we looked at in our episode Human-Machine Teaming. Ultimately, in the end, we should be asking ourselves if it's even our business to be making such rules for any thinking creature, whether we made them or not. And since only such things can actually commit crimes, the question of whether or not a human intelligent AI might commit a crime is maybe no more appropriate to ask than if a child born today might be a criminal come tomorrow. As so often is the case with our conversations on Artificial Intelligence, today we found there are both good and bad reasons to worry about their future role with us. But there will be such a role, and if you're interested in understanding that role better, and maybe helping forge that future, a knowledge of computer science and algorithms are at the core of understanding this field, and there's a great course on algorithm fundamentals over at Brilliant that provides interactive and intuitive explanations of the concept. Brilliant has always focused on interactivity, but earlier this year, Brilliant upped their interactivity on their platform to a whole new level, and they continue adding in more and more interactivity to their courses. It's never too late to start learning something new, and Brilliant is a great place to start. Brilliant is an interactive STEM learning platform that helps you learn concepts by visualizing them and interacting with them, which is the hands-down best way to learn. On Brilliant, it's not about memorizing or regurgitating facts for a test. You can just pick a course you're interested in and get started, be it the basics or advanced. If you get stuck or make a mistake, you can read the explanations to find out more and learn at your own pace. Knowing and understanding math, science, and computer science unlocks whole new worlds, and if you'd like to start your journey, you can try out Brilliant for free and get 20% off a year of STEM learning. Click the link in the description below or visit Brilliant.org slash Isaac So that will finish us up for the day, and this Sunday will close the month out with our livestream Q&A on Sunday, October 31st, Halloween, at 4 PM Eastern Time. Then we'll open November up with a look at how we'll be opening up our road to space with an episode on Earth-based Spaceports. The week after that we'll look past getting into space to the colonization strategies we might employ for settling the solar system, then we'll have our mid-month Sci-Fi Sunday episode to take a look at one of the potential methods of getting out of the solar system by folding space to travel instantly to new stars. Now if you want to make sure you get notified when those episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel. And if you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to hit the like button and share it with others. If you'd like to help support future episodes, you can donate to us on Patreon, or our website IsaacArthur.net, and Patreon and our website are linked in the episode description below, along with all of our various social media forums where you can get updates and chat with others about the concepts in the episodes and many other futuristic ideas. Until next time, thanks for watching, and have a great week.